This month, 84 years ago, U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt passed the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. It carried forward the failed policies of prohibition, changing the status of cannabis in the U.S. not by making it explicitly illegal, but by imposing a tax so heavy on its sale that it essentially functioned as outlawing it. Let's explore this decision that had little to do with public health and nearly everything to do with protecting and generating revenue and finding an excuse to persecute and imprison racial minorities. Let's begin with a statement that is becoming less and less controversial as time proves it to be true. Drug prohibition does not work. Decades of prohibitionist policies around the world have had little to no effect on drug consumption, trade, or production. The United States incarcerates more people per capita than any country in the world. In 2018, there were 655 inmates per 100,000 people. That's six times more prisoners than in France, by comparison. The approximately 2 million inmates in the U.S. represent nearly a quarter of the world's prison population. Cannabis prohibition has been a major contributing factor to this mass incarceration and a force perpetuating systemic inequality in the country. By the late 1930s, cannabis had been used for decades in medicines in the U.S. and Europe. Hemp and cannabis extracts were easily available at pharmacies. Cannabis, morphine, and alcohol were used together in medicines since the late 1800s, and these medicines were prescribed by doctors to help alleviate a variety of ailments. The medicinal benefits of cannabis were known and exploited by the medical community. The first laws around the world to outlaw cannabis first appeared in countries where white minorities ruled black majorities. South Africa, where it's known as Daga, banned it in 1912, and Jamaica, which was still a British colony at the time, outlawed ganja in 1913. They were followed by Canada, Britain, and New Zealand, which added cannabis to their lists of illegal narcotics in the 1920s. Canada's cannabis law was enacted in 1923, several years before there were any reports of people actually using cannabis in the country. The story of outlawing cannabis in the U.S. is usually told through the lens of the hemp versus wood paper controversy. The names associated with this story are Andrew Mellon, Randolph Hearst, and the DuPont family. The story goes that these wealthy industrialists were worried that hemp was an economical replacement for paper pulp in the newspaper industry. Newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst is said to have realized that cheap, sustainable, and easily grown hemp threatened his extensive timber holdings. It also worried Andrew Mellon, who was the Secretary of the Treasury and the wealthiest man in the U.S. He had invested heavily in the DuPont family's nylon, which was competing with hemp. But this narrative leaves out the racist and classist motives behind cannabis prohibition. The Federal Bureau of Narcotics led the first public information campaign against cannabis. But it did not actually go after cannabis. It went after marijuana. Marijuana is simply the Spanish word for cannabis, but the distinction made all the difference to Harry J. Anslinger, who became the commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics in 1930. It wasn't the Cannabis Tax Act, but the Marijuana Tax Act, because cannabis was perceived as having medicinal benefits, whereas Anslinger wanted to associate poverty, crime, and the ills of the Great Depression with cannabis smokers. That's because, at the end of the 1920s, alcohol prohibition was coming to an end. 
This meant that the country's first drug czar, Anslinger, and the Federal Bureau of Narcotics were soon going to need another prohibition mission to justify their existence and their funding. By the time prohibition was repealed in 1933, 30 states had some form of law regulating cannabis. The laws ranged from banning its sale without a prescription to requiring hemp farmers to notify the government about their crops. As prohibition ended, Anslinger turned his department towards the prohibition of marijuana and began to demonize Mexican immigrants who he deemed responsible for its use and propagation in the United States. Anslinger attempted to stifle the freedom of the jazz age for people of color. He linked drug use, race, and music. He's quoted as saying, There are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana usage. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and others. This was the era of Reefer Madness, one of the most iconic propaganda films first broadcast on the cinema screens in 1936. The film features a hit-and-run accident, manslaughter, suicide, conspiracy to murder, attempted rape, hallucinations, and descent into madness, all from cannabis addiction. To sum up his thoughts and the mood that Anslinger was trying to push at the time, this is a statement about cannabis that he submitted to congressional hearings. Those who are habitually accustomed to the use of the drug are said to develop a delirious rage after its administration, during which they are temporarily, at least, irresponsible and liable to commit violent crimes. The prolonged use of this narcotic is said to produce mental deterioration. It apparently releases inhibitions of an antisocial nature which dwell within the individual. Harry Anslinger took the scientifically unsupported idea of cannabis as a violence-inducing drug, connected it to black and Hispanic people, and created a perfect package of terror to sell the American media and public. By emphasizing the Spanish word marijuana instead of cannabis, he created a strong association between the drug and the newly arrived Mexican immigrants who helped to popularize smoking it recreationally in the U.S. He also created a narrative around the idea that cannabis made black people forget their place in society. He pushed the idea that jazz was evil, created by people under the influence of marijuana. The LaGuardia Report was the first detailed study of the effects of marijuana use. It was commissioned in 1939 by New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia. The report concluded that cannabis was not as dangerous a drug as the Marijuana Tax Act claimed. The report contradicted what Anslinger had been telling the public for years. His response was to threaten future studies from being performed and to continue maintaining that cannabis was a violent drug. Anslinger and the Federal Bureau of Narcotics were trying to influence an entire generation of Americans. They wanted the public to associate marijuana use with violence. The problem was that there was little scientific evidence to support Anslinger's claims. He reportedly contacted 30 scientists looking for anyone who would back his claims. 29 would have told him that cannabis was not a dangerous drug. One scientist agreed with Anslinger, and it was his studies that he presented to the public. With the testimony of a doctor, Anslinger gave the news media the results of an expert on cannabis, and on went his sensationalist version of the effects of cannabis in the mainstream press. In 1971, marijuana was officially deemed illegal and placed on the Schedule I list of drugs of the Controlled Substances Act of 1971. 
Anslinger's efforts to suppress cannabis actually brought it into national headlines and resulted in a greater widespread illicit use. Today, cannabis exists in a legal limbo in the U.S. It's illegal at the federal level, meaning at the national level, but many states have passed laws to decriminalize or legalize medicinal and or recreational use of the plant. Data from 2018, published by the ACLU, shows that black people are 3.6 times more likely to be arrested on a cannabis charge in the U.S. than their white counterpart. This fact is the somber legacy of the intentions of prohibitionist policies in the U.S. and across the world. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to Now to Say. The French version of this episode is up next. <laughs>